Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the 4-4-V podcast. This week I had the pleasure of speaking to Dan Silver from the Chelsea Supporters Trust. You would have heard a lot about Supporters Trusts in the wake of the Super League scandal, so I just wanted to get Dan's perspective on what a Supporters Trust actually is and why they're still important within football. I also chatted to Dan about the role Chelsea had to play in the Super League and more specifically the role fans had to play in Chelsea exiting the Super League and then we also discussed some of the broader issues affecting English football in the minute and where he sees English football going forward in terms of ownership regulation within the game and ensuring fans voices are heard. Just me this week only because Mark had some technical difficulties of his laptop I haven't decided to bin him off just yet <laughs> so yeah hope you enjoy. And Dan, the first thing I sort of want to ask you, because we've heard a lot about uh, sort of supporters trusts in the wake of this Super League fallout. Obviously, we had the statement from each of the big the big six supporters trusts uh, yeah. after that all uh, went down. And I think maybe a lot of people are sort of, it's got people asking what actually is a supporters trust and what they do. So that's sort of my first question, just what, what actually is a supporters trust and, and yeah. why are they important in football? I guess in a nutshell, we're we're a democratically elected board, um, membership organisation with democratically elected board. So each year we have to stand for election or re-election and we need to get a percentage of the votes to ensure that we continue on the board. We're mandated by the supporters to pursue certain issues, uh, which we raise uh, various times out of the year. Um, we had direct contact with the club, you know, with, with Bruce Buck, with Graham Atkins, with uh, Graham Smith. So we are we are we are recognised by the club because we are the only democratically elected um, supporters, you know, trust group within the club. There are other independent supporters groups around, but we're the only ones who are democratically elected. Um, we basically we we fight fight the supporters' corner. I mean, just to give you a classic example, of what we did um, season before last. Chelsea at the start of the season had a mandate that tickets for domestic cup matches would be a certain price. We then drew Liverpool at home. I think it was a quarterfinals and they put the prices up to the higher level and we straight away kicked back and said, well, actually, you promised us these were going to be tickets for domestic cup matches. The fact that Liverpool at home is irrelevant and within 24, 48 hours, um, our pushback could push them back and tickets went back to you know, the standard reduced prices for, for the domestic cup matches. So we, we do have a, a hugely important role to play. Um, you know, we have meetings as a board um, every month to just discuss options. I want we've got one on Thursday. Obviously, a bit more to talk about this month than previously, as you can imagine. Yeah. Um, so we, we generally kind of a, a, a caveat between supporters and and the club. We all, we're all Chelsea supporters. We've got, you know, just getting back, you know, We've got, you know, anywhere from sort of, 
you know, 10 years to 50, 60 years. Uh, we're all passionate about Chelsea. We all want the best for Chelsea. And we want the fans to have, you know, a, a, a say and a voice when it comes to all things Chelsea. Yeah. Uh, so really just giving, giving the fans a voice, really, then. And yeah. Well, so I want to ask you as well is um, what was the, the CST or the Chelsea Supporters Trust rule in those uh, protests outside Stamford Bridge two we, weeks ago? We, yeah, we weren't directly involved in any any form of protest. Um, okay. Yeah, we, we, we as a the Twitter account called We Are The Shed um, hmm. and a few other people got involved. And to be fair, most people were down there of their own accord because they were so kind of angry and disappointed with the club stance to take the you know the European Super League route. So it was, it was incredible that you know s- supporters with minimal resources in comparison can mobilise within 24, 48 hours, turn up at Stamford Bridge in their, in their huge numbers and make a really loud vocal protest. The fact that we had a home game with Brighton that day was was very beneficial because you know the the media and everyone was there for, for the live game and that had a real impact um because i you know because part of my role in the trust is the, the press relations officer and i haven't had much to do since september when i got re-elected and i was you know suddenly suddenly became like you know really popular for like a couple of days so i was on <laughs> sky sports i was on sky sports itv news and then because obviously sky sky picked this up and they, they really ran yeah. with it and then the fans mobilized on tuesday and then Literally by seven o'clock, you know, the announcement came that Chelsea were backing out. Um, but obviously, the, you know, speaking as not on behalf of the trust of speaking as myself, I know, I know the club have got certain individuals who they potentially you know, like to feed stuff to. And I think they, everyone was taken aback by, you know, the pushback. Because I remember hearing um, Carvo Solicol on the morning this all came out, quoting that one one member of one of the boards had said, it, it's profit over fans and we're expecting some pushback. And I don't think anybody was expecting that worldwide, you know, absolute condemnation and damage, you know, damage reputation happened in that kind of 48-hour period. I mean, they've done so much damage. You, you know, look at, look at you know, the further field now with, you know, United protesting against the Glazers, you know, um, having their impact on, on Sunday. And then you've got the, you know, the, the Arsenal fans against Cronky. So it's, it's been a huge... You know, it's been a. It's, I mean, this is a real seminal moment for football now. It's a real opportunity for some change and stop taking fans for granted. Because you know, football without fans has proved the last twelve months during the pandemic. It's just, it's not the same. You know, you're watching yeah. football at empty yeah. stadiums. You hear these players screaming when someone's brushed past them, or what have you. It's just, you know, we need support. So I mean, I, I, you know, I really missed it because f- for me, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a happy place. You know, you kind of, I've got an amazing group of people I drink with. You know, on a match day, there's about anywhere between sort of 15 and 25 of us who congregate. And my friend's got this great line. He says, you know what? I love my football mates. It's a great day out drinking, ruined by 90 minutes of football. And that's <laughs> yeah. kind of how we look at it. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's so important. I think what what the, the people who run the club, the Guardians, you know, fans will way out, outlive all these Guardians. They, they don't have the emotional attachment that fans have to football clubs. It's, it's huge. Because I'm, I'm now, because my... My mum's been doing the family tree and she's worked out that next week will be my family's 100th year supporting Chelsea. Wow. So we, we've got something, you know, we've got something, you know, we've got some incredible history, you know, not just me, there's people there who've similar kind of, you know, histories and so on and so forth. It's a really important part of people's lives. There's people who struggle with, you know, loneliness, mental health issues, so on and so forth. And sometimes football is their kind of way out. It's, they get a chance to kind of just forget about everything and just, you know, have a few, few hours yeah. of enjoyment is it's such an important thing. The way they went about it was so amateur and so cat-handed. You think, you know, you've got, you know, combined worth of something like 20 billion and they, they do this absolutely half 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 arse idea 
It was just, it's embarrassing. I mean, you know, that literally had a GoDaddy website. It was just, what's this all about? It was just, you know, and they, they, they pledged fan engagement and had they had any fan engagement, certainly Chelsea supporters and pretty much everybody else, they would have been pushed back on this straight away. Nobody wants it. Yes, listen, the, champ, the Champions League has been devalued a lot because there's sort of four teams in it and it's not the Champions League as per se. And yes, some of the groups, they just do get a bit, you know, if if the, the, the big teams win all their games and suddenly you're looking, you know, it's a fight for third place, well, so, so be it. But for supporters, it's, you know, going to some far-flung Eastern European city for cheap beer and three days out. Or, if, you know, if you're lucky enough to get like a, a Seville or Valencia and you go there in September when it's beautiful weather, these are things footballers want. You want to visit new countries, visit new stadiums and take these things off our list. That's what football's all about. And the, the other thing is, you know, I've, I've maintained the whole way through, this hasn't been a win for Chelsea supporters. It's, it's a win for football because, you know, West Ham, for example, they're fighting for fourth spot. And if they were to be denied Champions League football based on the fact they don't have a European pedigree, per se, that, what's the point of the domestic league? It just completely defeats the whole object. Yeah, you know, well, let's, sorry, let's, just, just to go back, sorry, sorry to stop you there, but just to um, go back to sort of supporters there, um, I saw, um, just in your opinion, sort of how important was uh, sort of those protests outside Stamford Bridge and the reaction of fans in general to actually bringing down the Super League? Because I saw some people, for example, I saw, I think it was John Barnes on TalkSport. He was trying to, like, he didn't give any credit to the fans. He was trying to sort of completely discredit the rule of the fans. And whereas maybe you can argue, whereas maybe you can argue the fans maybe weren't the defining factor, I think they deserve more credit than what maybe some people seem to be giving them. I think I think the fans are hugely influential because you know the, the reputational damage done to these these clubs or brands like to call themselves was you know can't can't be forgotten. You know because if the fans weren't protesting, this would have gone through. It would have happened. It started to kick off on Sunday afternoon, and and the, the trust got together on our on our social media group to get a statement ready and everyone was like no this this is the worst thing happened to football and you saw the social media when it was beginning to happen you know people's thoughts about this you know the, the biggest problem is you look at the, the main protagonists were all um american based owners um and their, their sports models are very very different they don't have the relegation or promotion that they're all franchises so, you know you could have a team in new york move to LA or whatever and that's that's it's different you know it's, it's completely different in aspect their main sports you know the NHL the NBA no no relegation and you know and the, and the worst team picks up the best player from college that's not going to work over here for Europe Europe's always been about relegation promotion you know small teams getting that dream dream one you know for example Norwich next season you know they have a great season they get into Europe that's that's the dream you know you want your your teams to sort of up and you know look at um Watford came from nowhere back in the day to, to you know get to the first division. Well that's that's what football's all about. You know, America's got this model, very different. I think fan culture is very different as well with the, the American sports. And it's it's it, they were trying to reinvent the wheel. I think that that's where it's mm-hmm. felt miserably because you know I think Pep said something about I can't remember exactly what it was about the you know you need to qualify based on merit. I can't remember the exact quote but he said you need to qualify based on merit, not on not on name. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And if if there, if there had been you know a relegation kind of thing where there, it was it wasn't a closed shop, I think it might have, might have possibly been received, you know, slightly better. With the fact that you know that if you come the bottom four, then I, either a playoff game. So for example, you've got the top four European leagues, the bottom four teams play off, and if you win the playoff, you stay in the league. If you lose the playoff, you drop back down and have to qualify again. 
But at the moment, the fact is completely closed shop, which is nobody wants. And um, you know, all, we don't want to play Real Madrid four times a season. We want to play all different teams every year. Yeah, exactly. Because those, those sort of European games are they're like glamorized, aren't they? They only they're only really supposed to happen. Maybe for example, Chelsea are playing Real Madrid and the Champions League. That that's a game that hasn't happened. I think for Chelsea since 1998 in the European Super Cup. Yeah, and we haven't played them in a really competitive European game since since then. And you know, the double the double edged sword for us is that we can't go because they're always like oh, Real Madrid, but couldn't go to Bernabeu. It just just it's just about keeping football open and. You know, the Americans were just purely there for the money because, you know, if, if you believe the fact that Chelsea and City were told late on and they jumped on board, I'm sceptical, personally speaking, about that. I just don't think multi-billion pound companies make decisions based on a 24-hour time window. It just doesn't happen. Maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe you know, fly and sign a player very quickly, but even then, I still don't think that happens at that sort of speed. So it was really bad executed by everybody. You know, without question, I think they've, you know, certainly for they've opened a can of worms now. You know, certainly United have. You saw what happened on, on Sunday, yeah, to a lesser extent, Arsenal and Liverpool. I mean, you know, they say United won't do that again, or yeah, and that sort of that sort of brings on me on to my next question. Then maybe if you want to sort of put your your supporters' trust hat on for this one, but yeah. so what's the, what's the position of the Chelsea supporters' trust on? The Chelsea board and maybe on, on Roman Abramovich because I saw a statement there at the, the Chelsea supporters just released um, saying that the positions of Bruce Buck and uh, Guy Lawrence, Buck Chairman Lawrence, CEO, were untenable. So is that, is that where the supporters trust are at with, with, with those two then that they, they feel they can't, they can't do their jobs any longer? Yeah, I mean, I think at the time because they you know, we, we believe they were the, the, the main protagonists in the role. They were they, they are the day they were only the club, you know, Bruce Buck and Guy Lawrence. And as far as I know, no no one's going anywhere at this stage. And they they, they did go through the, the, the channels and there was there was there was a well-documented meeting on the Monday before on the Monday night before we pulled out that uh fans forum that Bruce Buck was um heavily selling the um European Super League to those in the fans forum. We we were not on there. We, we get direct meetings with the club outside the fans' forum. Um, okay. We had a meeting the week before the Super League debacle, and they were talking about season ticket prices, what was going on, what was happening, developments. And it was all, you know, very cordial, as it always has been, in fairness. Every meeting we've had been cordial, and nothing was mentioned in the Super League, even something that was embargoed. Nothing came up about the Super League. And then, obviously, three days later, four days later, it all, it all comes out. I think, um, me, me personally speaking for Roman, I think... He made a very bad decision on the European Super League. Um, but if you, go, if you you know, if you look back at 20 years over his term, you're going to say he's made a hell of a lot more good decisions and bad decisions. He's transformed Chelsea from when he took over. He's seen us, you know, funded us winning stuff that we never, ever thought we'd dream of winning. They've done so much good work with the, the stakeholders, the communities. And, you know, during COVID, they gave the hotel away for free. They've done food banks. They've worked with refuge charities so many different anti-Semitism events he's done, anti-racism events. He's been, you know, he's been really a ringleader of, of you know, a lot of good stuff. And this, this was a mistake. He's made a mistake, you know. We did, the club didn't put out an apology, per se. It was one of those statements, you know, where they skirted around saying sorry without saying sorry. I think on balance, we've got the best owner in football, me, me personally speaking. Yes, he's made mistakes, but 
we all do. You know, no, no one's perfect. And it, you know, the thing with Roman is he's an enigma. Nobody knows exactly how much involvement he has, exactly what he does. Is he a micromanager? Does he want everything running through him? We don't know. So people, you know, everything's assumption with him. You know, you see stuff on Twitter. Roman knew this, Roman knew that. No one knows. You know, there's talk that Marina mm-hmm. is his major um, mouthpiece. Um, you know, if if you if you know if you've got if you're running hundreds of companies and your CEO or chairman says, yeah, listen, we, we're looking at doing this European Super League. It's going to be a great idea. It's going to take money. You, you know, if your trusted general says that, you're likely to maybe trust them when they generally run the club really well. I think again, so let's believe that Roman was very concerned about the legacy reputational damage and he, and he pulled out told them to, to pull out so that that whole area is a little bit grey uh, do you think Abramovich sort of maybe saved himself a bit by pulling out so quickly after those protests began or on, on, the, on that sort of day do you think he maybe he helped himself a lot by sort of doing that pulling out of it too quickly I think majority of Chelsea fans find it very hard to be angry with Roman for, for all he's done I mean yeah. I think the best thing he's saying is he, he stopped Chelsea doing the wrong thing he didn't do the right thing he stopped us doing the wrong thing which is great. Yeah. He shouldn't have been there. He shouldn't have been there in the first place. But you know, they 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 pulled out. The Super League for now is is dead in the water, which is great because it's it was a horrendous idea. And um, now it's really see what they can do. They, you know, they fr- they free they frozen season ticket prices again, which is good. And now they've just got to really rebuild the trust of supporters moving forward. Yeah, I mean, sp- speaking as, as a fellow Chelsea fan, I think it's. Um, I think with a lot of the other clubs like the likes of United and the Glazers, Arsenal and Crompy. The situation with the owners is fairly clear cut because they just don't want them there, and that's the end of it. Whereas yeah. with Chelsea fans, I think a lot of them, certainly me as well, would struggle to say Abramovich out because it's not an Arsenal situation where he hasn't invested money in the club and he hasn't invested in players. I mean, just look at some of the players he's brought into the club. Look at the the amount of success. He's, I mean, Chelsea are playing the Champions League semi final tomorrow, and he's a large part of the reason behind that. Yeah. Um, and you look at it as well. It's not like he has invested in the community as well. As you were saying, he has the the hotels, the donating hotels to NHS workers during the pandemic, um, yeah. amongst other things as well. I mean, 1. 1.5 billion of his own money has been invested in the clubs. Yeah. So it's it's quite hard to say he hasn't been a good owner at the end of the day. Yeah, actually, just breaking news, Chelsea have announced that from the 1st of July, there will be supporter presence at clubs board meetings. Um, oh, wow. Three supporter of yeah, yeah, they just they just announced that um, for the first of July, Chelsea will, will allow supporters to be present at the club's board meetings. Three supporter advisors picked through an election and selection process will attend board meetings to ensure general support sentiment is considered as part of the club's decision making process. Big, that's that's amazing oh, news. That's, yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's exactly what we wanted. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So, yeah, um, and maybe another reason why. I mean, are we going to get that from the likes of the Glazers at United, Arsenal, Cronky? I mean, no, no, no chance. Yeah. No chance. They don't, yeah. they, don't, they don't care. Actually, why? Just very quickly, because I saw somebody put a tweet out recently about what Roman has done. Let me just try and find it. Yeah, I don't think the Glazers care two hoops about United. I mean, if you think you know, they've leveraged a billion pounds worth of debt or taken a billion pounds out and the club are in debt to 700 million, they, they, they don't care. It's about money for them. Do you feel um, that? sort of the club has done enough in the aftermath to reconnect with supporters and sort of make amends. Obviously, you've heard that breaking news there of, uh, yeah. of them letting the board sort of, or letting fans have maybe more say in board meetings. But we had that sort of letter to the fans. I mean, it was sort of, it was said to be an apology. I mean, a spoke of crap. deep regret. Yeah, spoke of yeah. deep regret. Say sorry, yeah. yeah. I, I, don't, I don't think there's not been enough time passed to say they've generally 
made amends, but this, you know, the breaking news about the support stuff is, is, is very, very good. I mean, that's what we've been, that's the whole point of our, the support trust mandate from our EGM last week was for that. So that's, that's incredible news for us. I mean, we, that's very pleasing. So now we have to sort of, when we finish, I'll get into some more detail about it, see what it means, but that's, that's what we wanted. We want fair representation. I believe Chelsea are the first to do it now, um, certainly from the Premier League, I believe, for, to have fair, fair representation on the board. I don't think any other clubs do. I think as well, there was they said that uh, they released a statement saying that season ticket and match day pricing was frozen. So I suppose yeah. that's sort of that's a move forward as well. Well, I think had they with COVID and everything else, so they started to put prices up. They've got even more bad plastic. You know, given that everyone's had a really tough year to start increasing season tickets would have given them more bad policy so they didn't really have much of a choice with that one no I, I think you're right I think that was probably the club was sort of they had to do that really didn't they considering the circumstances yeah. plus with what happened with the Super League so I think maybe just to move on to maybe sort of more general um, in, English, in English football what how it can be improved and maybe what, what sort of things need to happen going forward so we've heard a lot of talk um, well actually maybe where, well, where we'll start with that first is in terms of sanctions for these um, Premier League clubs, including Chelsea, for joining the Super League club, I mean, I guess my question for this is maybe twofold. I think maybe what what do you think would be fair sanctions for the like of Chelsea, United, Arsenal, Tottenham, etc.? And what what sanctions do you think will actually happen? I mean, I think I could answer that in well. Firstly, I think Spurs should be sanctioned for thinking they're a big club. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, I mean, I, th- I think the second part. I think wh- whatever comes our way, then we have to accept it because there's no excuse, there's no hiding place, or whatever they decide. What they will do, I don't know. Because I think I think in Premier League in a situation where the big six are are the big six and the most important part of the Premier League, because you know, with greatest respect, you know, a Super Sunday Brighton against. Norwich, for example, with all due respect to Brighton Norwich fans, is not the same pool as, you know, Man U, Liverpool or Chelsea Spurs, whatever it is. So um, I don't know. Um, I think if they sign this new charter, the Premier League can be talking about, about awareness and stuff, then maybe we'll just get a slap on the wrist. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what's in the, the actual kind of rules and regulations about this. I mean, if, you know, what is there, there hasn't been a precedent set in terms of fines or points deductions. Um, it's difficult. I mean, if they t- if they give us a points deduction, that means all those six teams don't get into the Champions League, and then the champion. I don't, I don't know. It's really difficult. I I, mean, I imagine big fines. I mean, Bruce, I think Bruce Buck's been forced off the one of the committees that he was on on the Premier League. I think also the his equivalent at Arsenal and Spurs have been forced off their respective pre- um, Premier League subcommittees. Um, I'm probably expecting a, a big fine. Um, and a suspended points deduction, maybe. Yeah, I'd I'd, um, I'd agree with you on that. I'd say probably the most likely, most likely scenario is a fine and maybe um, maybe small points deductions, but I don't see anything major because I mean I saw people in the wake of this saying right kick Chelsea United Arsenal out of the league, put them in the Championship, put them. Some people saying relegate them to League Two, but at the end of the day, that's never going to happen because. Whether you like it or not, the Premier League needs these clubs because they generate so much revenue. They, they, they're, they're, those are the clubs that bring the eyes to the Premier League. So it's that's yeah. not not really a real, realistic option in my mind. No, 
And again, again, you know, potential with if there's no precedent or nothing in the rules about point deduction, then they face potentially six legal cases saying, well, this is there's no there's nothing in the statute that allows you to do this. So it's, you know, because I would have thought by now they might have said, oh, this is what we're looking to do. Because maybe, you know, maybe they realise they can't do draconian punishments because there isn't anything in the yeah. statute or the rules that allow it. And the worst thing, you know, you know what, you know, Man City lawyers have proved how good they were getting their, you know, fair play stuff overturned. You know, the Premier League don't want to have six ongoing cases going on for, you know, year, two years, making lawyers rich. Yeah. But I say, I say whatever, whatever comes our way, we, we have to deal with it and accept it. Yeah, I mean, I personally, if, if we were relegated to the championship, I don't think you could really argue with it. When you look at some of the, what's happened with some of the lower league clubs down in, in the lower divisions, yeah. the punishments they've faced for going into administration, etc. I don't think you yeah. could really argue with it. But as, as I've said there, I don't think that's ever realistically, go, realistically nah, going to happen because it's just, there's too much money involved. But I think what would be good for it to happen is if maybe there was fines thrown out to the clubs and maybe those fines were be given to some of some the clubs in the lower divisions of English football and sort of those fines sort of trickle down that'll be maybe something to look at but I mean yeah. obviously we wait and see what happens but that'll just be something I'd find quite quite interesting if they don't that yeah, or maybe they have to play pre-season friendlies against smaller clubs so for example that you know so there's six teams if each team plays six pre-season friendlies that's what 36 36 teams that's most of League 2 and half of League 1 you know, get some, you know, some pre-season friendlies. Well, they'll play two pre-season friendlies, then suddenly, you know, it's going to get some revenue for them through the gates as well. Getting a Premier League team to come down to Tranmere or Morecambe is going to raise big revenue for them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, What's your thoughts then on this um, sort of, this Premier League charter that was announced yesterday? And we've seen, we've seen now that the, the clubs from now going forward, all the Premier League owners will have to sign this new Premier League charter. And obviously, Gary Neville has been going on for a long time now, but an independent regulator in football. And it now looks like there is going to be a degree of government intervention in football. Do you think that's, do you think that's good for English football? Do you think, do you think that's what's needed? Yeah, I, th- I think the, the charter will ring fence and protect the Premier League for, for everyone. And yeah, it doesn't need an independent regulator. It just needs somebody who's who can look from the outside in and not, not be sort of blinded by... You know, somebody who can say, right, well, actually, you know what, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. And I think, I think football, generally, I think UEFA need it. I think FIFA need it. You know, I mean, you know, if you join what's wrong with football, you know, the, the racism bans are laughable now, right now. What the bans they give for race, like the Sparta Park player who got a 10 match ban, where um, the uh, Rangers player got a free match ban because he, yeah, he reacted so, to it. So, yeah. Uh, and and, and the, uh, what's the, here's a guy who went to Atletico Madrid from Spurs, um, the fullback. Trippier. Yeah, got 12 match, yeah 12, he got a 12 match back for telling his mate it's going to Madrid and to put a bet on it. So, you know, you, you're saying basically putting your bet on is, is worse than racism. I mean, you know, that they, they should have come down like a ton of bricks on that guy. You know? Yeah, it's, it's it's quite ridiculous, really. I mean, you if I like to speak about, um, or they like to come out of this whole Super League thing as the the, the sort of the guardians of football and the, the organization that cares yeah. about the fans, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But if they wanna if they want to um try and sort of uh come out with that rhetoric, then they need to start actually acting on things that impact fans, such as racism. Like for example, like life that should be uh, a lifetime ban for that player for racism, <laughs> lifetime bans for you know it, it needs to be those issues need to be taken seriously by you if, if they want to sort of come out as this organization that wants to protect fans. Yeah, I mean, if they, if they came out and said this guy, he plays for Sparta Prague, 
12 month ban do it again it's a lifetime ban yeah, yeah. I, I, it's, 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 I don't think you know a lifetime ban is maybe on an excessive side but I think you know if you set this player right straight away 12 month ban that's it and, and, and we're going to find you 50% of your wages over that year yeah then you know straight away you're like wow you know that's 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 heavy and that's that's a huge deterrent they need deterrence that for this you know 10 match ban whatever no yeah it's it's, it's not it's not a big deal you know you just go to dubai for three weeks and then half the games are gone yes yeah it's it's nothing really and then maybe sort of looking to go back to the the sort of independent regular and what sort of regulation is needed in English football. We've heard a lot of talk um, about this sort of 50 plus one ownership model in English football. Yeah. I think a lot of a lot of Manchester United fans, that seems to be sort of one of the major points in their protests. Um, what's, what's your sort of thoughts on that sort of, do you I think that could be that, in English football? Do you think it's workable? No, I think it's a non-starter. I mean, you know, you've got like Chelsea owned by a private individual. You can't force him to sell. 51% of his club to supporters. I just don't think it's it's feasible and, and, and money involved. I mean, if, you, if United are valued at, for sake of argument, 4 billion, you know, for supporters to raise just over 2 billion to get that 51% stake, it's just not, it's just not viable. I just, I just, I don't think you can change the, the you know, the whole model of, of our, of our game to that respect. Generally, it's been different to speed 50 plus one for don't know how long, but I think there needs to be Proper regulations in terms of fit and proper persons, you know, more so at lower down the leagues. You look what's happened at Wigan over the last 18 months. You know, there needs to be really strict fit and proper person tests that are done independently from the um, the, the, the leagues, not not an internal check. Yeah, that, that whole Wigan situation was shocking, really, wasn't it? The guy bought yeah. it, um, the owner bought it, and then put it into administration within a week. And then there was there was this sort of rumor going around that he he, he placed a, a massive there was like sort of a bet put on that Wigan would go into administration. That was that was a scandalous story, really. Yeah, wasn't it? yeah. That's the, yeah they, I think any 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 major decisions need to be certainly ratified by outside organisations, such as fit and proper person test. Um, there needs to be more accountability for the referees and VAR because that's another matter. You know, the VAR the technologies. Not the problem. It's the it's the people in charge. You know, there's the officials running it. So many inconsistencies. You look at decision decisions. Right when we played West Ham, you know, there's two tackles. One was a red card, and then tackle ten minutes later, probably even worse, didn't even get booking. You know, the officer. Any anything major needs independent to be ratified, such as for, um, giving fair kickoff times for supporters. So Newcastle not going down to Southampton on New Year's Day at twelve thirty. Yeah. You know, when, when, when TV companies say we're going to announce decisions by the first of the month, they have to do it on the first of the month because people got to book trains and so on and so forth. They need to, you know, the TV companies need to be accountable as well because, you, you know, you notice how Sky's narrative changed on Sunday when they're doing their crown was called or Sunday. It's like, oh, God, fans are this, fans are that. But the previous two weeks, they're banging the jobs of the fan. As soon as their product gets damaged because of the game being cancelled, because nobody really wanted to watch Sheffield United Spurs. That wasn't the reason for Super Sunday. It was it was all about Liverpool, Man United, and they completely changed their whole narrative. Yeah. So yeah. Just just to be, you know, listen, I'm not naive. No, the football's changed over my lifetime massively. So, but just just fairness, accountability, just be 
consider for fans because you know I've I've been to Stoke on a Monday night at eight o'clock freezing my balls off. I've been at Man City thinking I'm probably going to miss the last train home and stuff like that. So just just think that you know train companies. You know you look at a football supporter what's involved. So for money you've got train companies. You've got this. You've got to get there. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. So much to take in consideration. I mean they did good stuff with the um, capping the away tickets. So there has been some good, but you know Christmas time. Give us all London derbies. You know, don't make us travel to wherever Aston Villa on Boxing Day. Let's play Spurs. Let's play West Ham. Do a 12-30 kickoff so no one's in the pub. You know, just do, you know, I remember like boxing, there's always London derbies when I was growing up as a kid over Christmas. You know, because there's half a time there's no trains running. People want to spend more time with their family. If you've got a, you know, if you're a diehard, you spend a day getting to, to Middlesbrough on a boxing day, you're not going to be very popular with your family. If you're only getting out to West Ham, then you'd be back by, like, you know, mid-afternoon. Yeah, and I think I think that's why that sort of fifty plus one ownership model has been talked about so much because in Germany, like fans are everything. Fans are put at the forefront yeah. of the decision making process. That's why in Germany, fans are still allowed to stand in stadiums. That's why they still sell alcohol in stadiums. Yeah. That's why train tickets are included in the match day pricing. That's why match day pricing is so cheap. Why season ticket pricing is so cheap over there? Yeah. The fans are really put, right. are put at the forefront, so that they're doing it the right way. But unfortunately, well. Whereas that 50 plus one concept is a good idea. And personally, I'd love to see it in English football. It's just too hard. It's it's going to be really hard to implement when you when you think about it because yeah, there's not fans fans generating that amount of money to like buy into the club isn't feasible. And then you have these owners, like those owners aren't gonna sort of hand over the ultimate decision-making process to the fan yeah. as much as that, as nice as that sounds in reality. I mean, these men are, are multi-millionaires and they, they, they pride themselves and sort of having all, as, all aspects of the decision-making process left in their hands. So unfortunately, it's just not really, it's not really on, unfortunately, at, at the, at the yeah. minute. And what about then, well, yeah, just what, what was your reaction then to them those protests and I know we're sort of we're sort of moving away from Chelsea here but and yeah. going towards maybe um sort of those protests at Old Trafford uh yesterday. What was your yeah. um, what was your reaction to that? Um I know sort of a lot of media outlets have ran with the whole uh, the violence that happened there and th- took that sort of narrative one way. I don't think that's really the story. That was the minority and I think a lot of a lot of media outlets have sort of tried to use the the minority to almost bastardize the majority because I think yeah. the majority of people protesting, which is obviously something we've seen with football fans for years, but I think the majority were there protesting peacefully, were there to try and make their voices heard. But you think that's maybe something that um, I think this is really what the story was. Those fans stopped, a couple of hundred fans stopped one of the biggest games in world football, commercial-wise anyway, in terms of being figures, in terms of the amount of revenue that game would have generated, they stopped that mm-hmm. on its tracks. And I think that's what the real story of Sunday was, not what some people seem to want to make it out to be. Um, do you think that's maybe yeah. something that could be used by clubs going forward? You stopping oh. games? We saw we saw with Chelsea, sort of, well, to an extent with Chelsea, we saw them stop the team bus um, going in 15 minutes. It was The game kicked off 15 minutes late. Do you think that's maybe the best way to hit owners because that's it's it's stopping the game from going ahead and that, that's what really will hit the pockets of these um, owners. It's difficult because I think the problem with that is when we get back to supporters in grounds, 
they've already they've already paid for the tickets. So I think disrupting the broadcasters is going to have the impact because if you know if you're seeing a boycott a match for the season ticket, you've already paid for your ticket. It's you know it's not such an idea. I think that the Old Trafford season is a culmination of what's been building up. You know, with this European Super League and the Glazers just complete negligence to, towards the club. You know, I think I think the violence was. <sighs> Not called for. I think it, it went too far. Yeah. But yeah. you know, there's there's as you know, I think there's always going to be a few idiots who you know who who maybe only be there for a scrap as opposed to being there for the the genuines. But you know, fair, fair play. The the overall actions of, of the fans got the game postponed, which was you know, which is an incredible effort. You know, the, the violence aside, that that that's made a huge statement. Now, whether the Glazers personally, I think I don't think they care. It's, it's, a, it's a cash cow for them. I think they'll probably go, all right, we'll play it again. I, don't, I just don't think they have that emotion involved, but it's just, just pure bolts and braces numbers for them. That's what they care about. Well, they, they've been through this before. The Glazers have only in 2005. The green and gold and stuff like that. Yeah, the green and gold and stuff like that. And you know, they, United lost a lot of their vocal supporters when they form, formed FC United back back in the day. So I, I think, you know, the whole situation, with I think the Glazers possibly worse than... Cronky, I think, I'd say. I think United have got it worse for their owner because, you know, there's, the stadium's a rust bucket now. They've hired yeah. any investment in the infrastructure. Um, listen, they spent a lot of money on players, so you can't really argue. Has that investment come from their pockets? Probably not. It's probably come in forms of more debt. They, they look at look at City and down the road with, you know, the, the work that, that they, the Abu Dhabi group have done in the area. Um, the stadium, the academy, they completely transformed that entire area. They've done so much good work in the community. And they are dominating. They've got the best manager in the world, arguably. They look down at Chelsea, who've got a, a benefactor, not an owner, who's spending money. And all the players that were signing, United would have gone for previously. I think there's a lot, a lot of frustration at what they've done. But then conversely, if the Glazers set up, sake of argument, and you get somebody else in who's just as bad or worse, do you start again? Where, where it, it, It's so difficult because if you... Football fans want success. Now, you ask yourself a question. If United were... 10 points clear in the Premier League, Champions League semi-final. Would, would their protest be as vociferous? Difficult, it's difficult to know. That's a bit of a devil's advocate viewpoint. And then if, 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 if the players sell out and they buy somebody else who comes in, who just does the same thing and, you know, makes all these promises and then it, it goes, it reverts the type. It's, it's difficult to know. I guess that sort of goes back to what you were saying about needing proper, sort of proper fit, fit well, Proper test, yeah. Proper test for owners that will actually, you know, stand the test of time and actually work properly. I think that's 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 what's needed because you look at the guy, uh, the the Spotify owner, he's trying to buy Arsenal at the minute. I mean, even if he comes in, does that does that guarantee that does that guarantee things will be better for Arsenal going forward? I mean, there's just there's no guarantee. I think that's a problem with the the structure, the ownership structure of English football. Of, there's no, there's no real way of guaranteeing that the the next owner that comes in is going to be is going to be the best for that club and the best for the fans of that club as well. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, I think I think that's the issue. It's like you know, if they if they don't come and don't sign Haaland, you're going to have people suddenly moaning that we're we're not competing, we're not competitive. It's, it's difficult because ultimately, you know, unless you've got a benefactor like we've got who's spent over a billion pounds with no real intention of getting it back, then it's going to, it's going to be a very different situation. And then I think maybe the final thing I wanted to ask you about was that now that supporters have sort of a bit of momentum with these protests in recent weeks, of recent uh, in recent weeks, do you think it's maybe 
time to start protesting and getting their voices heard and other things, you know, such as ticket prices, VAR, and as well the sort of new Champions League format that UEFA have brought in, which in my mind isn't isn't all it's cracked up to be and is almost a, a sort of a lesser a lesser version of the Super League. So you think it's going to be time that supporters sort of use this momentum to, to get their voice heard and other things? Yeah, I think I think now now is the time because our voices are loud and probably as loud as they've ever been. So we need to really kind of continue the momentum, keep shouting, keep stamping our feet and make, make sure stuff's done. The fact that Chelsea have now come out and said there's going to be fan involvement is, is excellent. You know, you know, but I don't, we don't expect to be involved in, you know, who we sign, contract negotiations, sponsorship deals, but just the actual nuts and bolts of football, what goes on on the pitch, what tournaments, etc. That's where fans want to get involved in. Now, I don't expect to be getting involved in negotiating deals for Sancho or whatever. We just need to make sure that we can, you know, have a voice and not, not be neglected. You know, the, the things that are important to fans are ticket prices, kickoff times, um, decent beer in the stadium, all the kind of, you know, we, we're quite basics, really. Yeah, not we want, major. We want, yeah, we want players that put on the shirt to give 100%. We want de- easy, fair kickoff times that we can get to and get back from. And decent price tickets. That's 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 simple simple stuff, and, and just be considered not just as a commodity, as, as actual humans. Yeah, I think you can see as well. Even, even things like far. Obviously, I, I don't know. I don't know any football fan who actually likes far in its current format. Hate it's, it. I mean, it's 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 awful. It's just draining at this point. But I guess maybe that's something that can be protested. But um, then again, I guess. The question is, is the problem VAR? Is the problem the way it's sort of implemented? And is it the problem with the rules and stuff they got there? Because VAR is run by humans. I think the rules, the offside rules need to be interpreted in such a way that if you're that close to being offside, you need to be onside. If you're like, you, know, you see like that, you know, an elbow coming out, that if you're if it's marginal, as, as some of these calls have been, it should be a goal. But then IFAB need to look at the rules for that. Um, refereeing sounds need to improve and they need to be held to task for sure but VAI now it's like we score a goal I don't celebrate now till I know for sure because you know something might have been offside two plays ago so it's, yeah, it's king, it's king even, even, even with that Pulisic goal uh, the other night against Madrid whenever he scored I was sort of I was sort of half I was sort of half thinking is he going to be called so offside here yeah. I, was, I was really tentative to actually celebrate it so I literally held far and it was like okay it's a goal it's just like you know that <laughs> that shouldn't be happening should it Realistically, uh, you want you want like goal celebrate. You know, I think uh, you know if it takes forty five seconds to make a decision, it's not clear and obvious. I think I, I found me to look at your side rules and say, right, okay, if a player is uh, a shirt offside, well, that's yeah. Wenger had a sort of proposal for it as well, didn't he? Of where I think it was something along the lines of. Uh, if, if your body's any part of your body's level with the last man, you're you're on side or something yeah. something along those lines. So that could maybe be something to look at. But um, yeah, it's hard to really know what what way to go for. I think handball is something that needs to be looked at as well. That that really needs to be majorly held to task too. I think yeah. as well because no one knows what's happening with that either. Yeah, the, the rules are so confusing. I think you've got you know Mike Riley, who's the head of IFAB. You know, again, they need to have, I think, more ex-processing to be involved in these things because you know they 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 see the game. So you know, like the the when was it who got sent off for um, West Ham last week? 
the tackle on um, Aspel Equator. Oh, um, set the half Valbuena. Valbuena. Yeah. I mean, majority of players says not a red card. You know, an ex pro goes, you know what? No, I don't get a red card. That's, that wasn't intent. It was a follow through. It wasn't, it, for me, it wasn't a red card. It was a yellow card. It was, it was, it was, it was a late tackle, but it wasn't. Yeah, it was. It was. It was, it was never a red card. And then you did a similar incident. Uh, I think like t- ten minutes later, with I think it was Pufal on yeah, basically the exact happen. same thing. And it didn't even get yeah. checked. Yeah, so it was the worst consistency. Yeah, I reckon there's so many. Well, firstly, great idea to get ex pros who won't have made fortunes from the game to be fast tracked into being referees because they they've got an understanding of the game. None of these players, none of these refs, have played the game to a high standard. Don't understand the game. Expos get it. They'll know what's a bad tackle. Players' reactions tell you a lot about severity of tackles or stuff like that. You can tell. You know, so get, get expos to be referees. Fast track them. They know the rules of the game. They know the game. Get competent referees, not idiots. You know, have have a bit of they are, you know, the rules need a massive overview, you know, in terms of what, what's good, what's not good. Or, or, or do similar like they have in the um, you know, NFL where you get to appeal if you think something's wrong you get a flag like they do in NFL you throw a flag on the pitch say right I'm appealing that decision I think it's offside yeah. you've got like 15 seconds after the, to, to do it and then you know you get to, to a match whatever I just, yeah. I just goal line tech was brilliant for the game because that was something that's you know that was needed and now that's great but the rest of it I just I put VAR in the bin it just it kills the game yeah, you know, kills him. It's not, but really, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, some, some offside blatant. Oh yeah, great call, really good call. But then some are like, really? I mean, he's like a millimeter offside. That's just not the law. That's not in the spirit of the game. Give it as a goal. Yeah, I think accountability for referees as well is a major thing. Yeah. Like transparency. I mean, what? Why can't we hear? the decision-making process of referees the same way you do in rugby. We can actually hear the decisions because that, that would cut out all this sort of why exactly, is he making yeah. this decision. It would cut it out because you'd be able to hear what what the decision-making process of the referee and why certain things are done, it, why like, certain cards are given, and why like, and why can the referee not come out after a game and give an interview yeah, the same way like, players and managers have to do? Yeah, like in an NFL, they switch their mics on and go, you know, defence number 16 holding 10-yard penalty. Well, do that here. Have the mic switched off until they make an announcement. Because I, I know players swear a lot. They have the mics turned off and they go, right, um, yellow card for deliberate handball. Done. End. Yeah, exactly. Ends all the discussion. Not really. Yeah. Um, Everyone hears it in the ground. And, you know, referee walks away from players and so no one's going to swear. And suddenly straight away, oh, okay, yeah, fair enough. We get it. It's not, it's not difficult to mic them up. And they can turn, exactly like they do in football, turn off the mics until they speak. Make the decisions. You know, it was offside because um, Timo Werner was offside when he received the ball, and then played it on to Kai Havertz. Okay, fine. Okay, we know. Okay, great. Perfect. Excellent. No problems at all. Yeah. And uh, what about what about this new sort of Challenge League format as well? What's your thoughts on that? Because under the current guys, if it, if the new if the current Challenge League format was brought in this season, uh, it would mean that Liverpool would go into the Challenge League and I think West Ham would end up going into the Europa League. So is that is that really fairness? Is that, you know, as, as we were speaking about before, yeah, for like to say yeah, it's, it's fairness, again, it's, but I mean, really? The, the only difference for me is, so, so West, if West Ham came fourth, they wouldn't get Champions League football. Yeah, because I think it's to do with uh, the sort of, based on the, 
European coefficient or whatever of previous performances, Liverpool <laughs> would go in and get a wild card spot. So that's yeah. why that that's where that would I mean, happen. I mean, uh, I, I haven't read enough about the new format to be honest, because it was I was mine was taken on by the Super League. I thought it was a top four plus the coefficients. I mean, listen, the only thing about Champions League is it, it's it's an open tournament. So if, if five teams automatically qualify and then a four spot team got in, that's fine because at least there's an open an open door, as it were. Yeah. So yeah, I suppose that's the other argument for it. You'd say, well, at least there, there's an open door and it does allow does allow for other teams. It's not a close shop like the, the Super League was, but in my opinion, it still has it still has its problems, it still needs to be looked yeah, at. Yes, but, this is, yeah. but no, listen, Dan, that's that's all I think for today that I want to ask you. So Really appreciate you coming on. My pleasure. Um, it's great to have you. So, would love to welcome you back anytime. So, yeah, but- listen, mate, listen, you got you got my you got my my email. If you anytime you want me on, I'm generally pretty free to do this stuff. So I really enjoy it. So, yeah, any if you want me to come on, talk about anything, Chelsea, whatever, just drop me an email. I have to come on anytime. Yeah, absolutely, mate. No, thank you very much. Really appreciate that. And next time you next time you come over, give me a shout. We're going for some beers. Oh yeah, hundred percent, mate. Hundred cool. percent, absolutely. <laughs> Cool. First drinks on uh, you. <laughs> definitely, yeah. I'm happy. Yeah, come to my local my pub, my pub, my drinks. <laughs> no, that's gonna be a top bound. Thank you so much. No worries. Have a good evening. All right, all the best, my man. See you later. Anyway, see you later. Bye bye. Bye bye.